Good morning, Grace. This morning's reading is Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 through 28. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what you shall, what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they have killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it's fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you, and your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stopped. He stooped down and crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he was wa- he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea, he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a rest, resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Thanks, Kristen. Good morning. Uh, two minutes of bonus content. <laughs> Here, here's our hope each week. 
each Sunday that I would give myself to studying the passage, uh, the, the text that I'll preach on, that I'll understand it in the context of the Bible, that I'll share it with you clearly and carefully and winsomely and with a call to respond, that you would hear it and understand it, that you would be cut to the heart in any sin and your eyes opened to the glory of God, that your life would be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that you would proclaim this good news to the ends of the earth. That's that's our hope. The reality is sometimes I'm less clear or your understanding is not perfect. Maybe you were distracted or you're less inclined to obey. Your eyes are dim to the glory of God. <clears throat> and so our hope even in that is Christ. <laughs> That's why I love singing the song we did uh, just just before this. We we need the help of God at every stage of every aspect of our lives, even right now, to listen and understand, to listen and care, to listen and understand and be properly amazed and convicted, and then respond in faithful obedience. We need his help for all of that. None of us will do that right. Christ died for those sins, the sins of you sitting in church, listening to a sermon wrongly, as much as every other sins. So lean in, write down your questions. If something didn't make sense, write it down. Ask somebody after if it made sense, but you're struggling to obey. That's why we're here. That's why I don't just pre-record this and email it to you to listen to on your own and do life on your own. So write your questions down. Write the marvelous works down that you hear and see and have seen and, and share them. So maybe that was like three minutes, but there's your bonus content. Is a neat passage. Quite quite a scene. Jacob was moments away from dying. We've worked our way through Genesis. Two more chapters this week and, and, and then 50. We've seen the creation of the heavens and the earth and the fall of mankind and chaos that ensued and, and God calling back uh, moral chaos through a, making a covenant with Abraham and, and then carrying that on through his son Isaac and carrying that on through his son Jacob. And Jacob here is about to die. We'll see that next week, but he's moments away from dying. And understanding that, he summoned his sons near to deliver his final address. It's a it's a somber scene. Speaking to each of them, he told them each what they most needed to hear, not necessarily what they most wanted to hear, which I imagine you picked up on as Krista read, some of his words were kind and gentle, even optimistic. In the end, we find out he calls all of this a blessing, but some of those are clearly blessings in the normal sense of the word, but some seem, they come across to us as anything but that. You're not reading this rightly if you can't imagine having to tell some of this to your own children. Some of his words were harsh and difficult. Well, in this series of blessings, there's a lot for us to see. There's a lot for us to see in terms of the lives, what what his words meant for the lives of his sons, the ones to whom he was speaking, to the tribes that they would represent, that is their kids and their kids' kids and their kids, and even for us. There's a lot in this for you and I today, many centuries removed. Well, here's the main point. The main point 
of this passage is that God is that God's faithful hand was on this family, and therefore His promises, His covenant promises and purposes, would stand with them, oftentimes in spite of them. He had made great promises. You remember of land and and people and offspring and blessings that He would be their God, and as they would hope in Him, He would bless them beyond measure that God would remain faithful to his covenant promises, often in spite of their sin and rebellion. So what does that have to do with us? Main point for us is that God's redemption, we're sinners. We need to be redeemed of our sin if we're to be in God's presence. Well, that redemption, God's redemption and rule over mankind would come through this line of people. You and I need to be saved as much as they do. And our salvation would come through this line, this family, through a son of Judah, through Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. We'll see, we'll see a little clearer this morning that nothing about Jesus was accidental or unplanned or uncertain. The roots of the saving work that is ours in Christ are found here. And in both of these things, God's covenant faithfulness, to Jacob and his offspring, and the fullness of that faithfulness in Jesus, both of those things, in both of those things, is the source of perfect confidence in the gospel and all the hope and freedom and worship that comes with it. Let me say that again. If you listen well this morning, at least as I've prayed for you, you'll hear (laughs) in all of this, it is faithfulness to Jacob, God's faithfulness to Jacob and his offspring, and that the, the faithfulness to us in Jesus is the source of perfect confidence in the gospel and all the hope and freedom and worship that come with it. Let's pray. God, there is a lot here, and we need to move through it relatively quickly because there's so much. I pray that in doing so, you would help us to see the the overarching theme here, the the big picture of your blessings through Jacob on his sons, which is to say even to us and all who share the faith of Jacob, his father Isaac and his father Abraham. God, open our eyes to see this. We We need your help. These are spiritual things that are spiritually discerned. And so we need the help of your Holy Spirit. So please open our eyes. Show us Christ in these passages. Show us things that we need, needs that we feel. Help us to see that in this are is some of the hope that we need for them, but also help us to, to feel things that we need that maybe we don't yet know. Help us to come here knowing certain grace that we need from you, God, but help us also to come here receiving certain grace that we had not yet realized. That's what your word does. I pray that you would cut us and bind us in every way that you see fit. Above all, help us to see your glory and our the fact that we were made for it, but fall short of it, but are offered it again through Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to these wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage are specific blessings for each of the 12 sons of Jacob. And once again, there's a great deal that we can learn about who God is and what his plans are for his people, what his expectations are. There's a great deal we can learn about these men and their offspring, 
and about our connection to God's saving work as well. So for these reasons, we're going to go through all of the blessings one at a time. But before we get there, I want to, I want to highlight three things that come in both the first words and the last words of this passage. I'd like to address three important ideas presented in the opening and closing words. Jacob opened by gathering his sons and saying this. Listen to these words, these opening words of Jacob. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. That's the opening. And here's the ending. Moses closed by concluding, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Three things I want to highlight to you from the opening and closing. The timeline, the certainty, and the kindness. And I'll tell you what I mean by kindness. The kindness of these words as subtle revelations of the glory of God. We see the glory of God in in these opening and closing words, subtly but clearly. Concerning the timeline, Jacob mentioned that his words will come true in days to come. Now on the surface, that would sound or maybe seem like he's simply telling his kids what's going to happen to them and themselves in the coming days or weeks or months in their days on this earth. In reality, however, we'll see, certainly without fully understanding it himself, that Jacob was actually describing it in in certain places at least, events that would take place over many centuries, that that would happen many centuries later, both in the physical realm on this earth and in the heavenly realms. So concerning the timeline, this is remarkable. Concerning the certainty, do do you notice he doesn't say, here's some stuff that I'm thinking maybe possibly you could experience? It might happen, it could happen. It's not what he says. He says these are the things that shall happen. What he told them was certain. And concerning the kindness of Jacob, we might wonder how some of his words would be considered blessings. He says each, he blessed each son in a blessing suitable to him. How, how were some of these things blessings? And I'll, I'll share more about that later, but even on the surface, you can see some of these things aren't what we would necessarily call blessings. In fact, they sound more like curses. Well, each of these Sayings is called a blessing suitable to his son. In simplest terms, some were a blessing to that particular son and his offspring, while the rest, now you got to hear this, is, <laughs> the rest were blessings for the rest of the tribe through the curses on these sons. Let me tell you what I mean by that. As we'll see, to the faithful and righteous sons, Jacob blessed them by praising their godliness and calling down God's favor upon them. But to the disobedient and ungodly sons, Jacob condemned their wickedness and called upon God to judge them as a means of restraining their evil in order that the rest of the tribes would be blessed. It's like the parent who blesses her obedient children by allowing them to play in freedom while keeping the troublemaker close to her side. Both are blessings, but in different ways. All right, what does this have to do then with the glory of God? We're right to wonder, how could Jacob talk this way? How could he speak in these ways with such a wide array of events over such a wide array of time and with such certainty? How could he do that? The answer, again, is the revelation of the subtle glory of God. In simplest terms, Jacob was able to speak as he did 
because his God is as he is. As I mentioned in the introduction, this was God's chosen family. Therefore, God's perfect, eternal plan of redemption would come to pass through them. In other words, Jacob was able to bless and curse as he did only because his all-powerful, all-wise, and all-good God revealed these things to him. This wasn't Jacob who understood these by himself. It wasn't Jacob who was going to accomplish or ensure these things by himself. It was his God. So marvel with me. Begin all of this by marveling with me at the glory of God. Marvel. Marvel that for millennia, God's plan remained entirely undefeated, unexceptionally unhindered, and completely good, even until the one from the line of Judah would finally come. So with that, let's consider Jacob's blessings for each of his sons, and especially the fact that their present actions would have ripple effects for generations. So how about Reuben? Uh, if it's going to be on the screen, if you have your Bible, sometimes I'm going to reread the blessing itself, sometimes I'm not. So verses 3 through 4, make sure you have those in mind. One of the most significant aspects of Jacob's first blessing, the blessing of Reuben, is its structure, the form that it takes. It builds and builds and builds at the beginning. You are my firstborn. Well, that's true. My might Thinking, okay, here we go. Come on, keep talking, Dad. The first fruit of my strength, go on. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Wow, right? I mean, what son would not want to hear these words from his father? Jacob had such high hopes for Reuben, and rightly so, it seems. But the point of this buildup, these 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 powerful, encouraging words. The point of the structure of this blessing is to take us up in order to help us feel Jacob's crushing disappointment. Even though all of those things were true of Reuben, he was also unstable as water, Jacob tells us. Therefore, Jacob said, you shall not have preeminence. He ought to have been, and you've had it in some ways, but you shall not have preeminence, neither you nor your tribe, because you went to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. Unstable in this sense is a sense of weakness and lawless and ultimately wildness. It's this idea of being uncontrollable. Water needs something outside of itself to control it. Reuben was like that. He was a man unable to control his passions. And because of that, as we read back in chapter 35, Reuben slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and down it crashes. Jacob, Jacob's sinful choice, he, he shouldn't have had concubines, led to Reuben's sinful choice, which led to a tribe, offspring, that would follow in their footsteps. Grace, your choices and my choices have consequences, both in our own lives and in the lives of those who come after us. Now hear this, you cannot fall into a pit so deep that God is unable to lift you out of it. There's no choice you can make that can drive you so far away from God that you become outside of his reach. Hear that, hear that. Believe that. But that does not change the fact that the things we do or fail to do ripple. Oftentimes for many years and even centuries as we see in this passage beyond us. So, don't be paralyzed by fear, 
but do not take the call to holiness lightly. Do you see this? You need both. You need to know there's no pit so deep you can fall in that God can't reach you. But you also need to know that your choices have consequences. You need to take your holiness, the call to holiness, seriously. The fight for it. The, 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 the striving for it. For without it, you will not see God. And yet God calls you to a life of hope in Christ. Both are true, always at the same time. What's more, let us learn from this, this blessing that God sees and hears all. It's significant that in Genesis 35, we're told that Jacob heard of his son's wicked actions. Jacob heard of Reuben's actions. But we're also told that more significantly, God did as well. Our evil deeds always have consequences because none escape the eye or judgment of God. This is sobering. But it is also meant to be a reminder of how amazing the grace of God is. If he forgave you only for the sins that you did in public, he would be an amazing God. (laughs) If he forgave you only for the sins you knew you committed, he'd be more amazing still. But he sees and hears all, even things no one else does, even things you don't even know you're doing. And so that fact is both sobering, but it is also an awesome source of worship. Christ Jesus died to all who will, for all who would hope in him for every sin, known and unknown, that had earthly consequences and that didn't. And we see glimpses of that in Reuben. The next, Simeon and Levi are blessed together. Unlike Reuben, of whom Jacob had some good to say, they got no good. <laughs> There's nothing good he had to say to these this pair. They were thoroughly wicked. They were violent, it tells us, angry, wrathful, cruel, and murderous. Jacob wanted nothing to do with them. He said, oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. More significantly still, their father cursed them and called for their division and dispersion. These brothers were right to be angry. What's what's Jacob talking about? Their, Their sister was defiled back in chapter 34. They were right to be angry about that. But they were wrong to take vengeance in the way that they did. Again, if you look back in chapter 34, Jacob himself was not portrayed as acting righteously in the defilement of his daughter. He was sinful in a, in a more passive and self-centered way. He, he was sinful in what he didn't do. Well, these two brothers were sinful in what they did do. Once again, we must learn from this grace. Vengeance does not belong to us. How many of you have been wronged in some way? How how many of you have longed to set that right somehow? Well, vengeance does not belong to us, we see here. It belongs to God. Simeon and Levi were cursed because they took something into their own hands that didn't belong to them. And so that means, again, hear this, that means that we must care about and work for justice. We're never indifferent to justice on earth. But we do so while simultaneously, a change, right? All right. We do so while simultaneously enduring injustices and entrusting it all ultimately to God. Let me say that again because they're both true. Typically, you hear one or the other, but simultaneously, these are both true. It means we must care about and work for justice while simultaneously enduring injustices and entrusting them all to God. Grace, we fight for justice on earth 
precisely because we know we'll never finally achieve it until heaven. <laughs> it, seems, it seems counterintuitive. Let me say it one more time. In other words, that justice was fully secured on the cross, that Jesus died to fully secure perfect justice, that justice was fully secured on the cross only to be fully realized at a resurrection means that there is perfect peace available to us right now, even as we long for things to be made right. That's a big deal. Many of you have been wronged in significant ways. Some of you have wronged in significant ways. Ultimate justice is certain because of the cross and the empty grave. And that gives us peace now to work for justice while enduring mistreatment. Here's Judah, verses 8 through 12. The third blessing, the blessing of Judah, is the first true blessing. At least it's the first one we would call a true blessing. From beginning to end, it is only and thoroughly positive. God's word to Jacob concerning Judah was that Judah would receive the praise. A lot of these, and and some of these I point out and some of I don't, but a lot of these are plays on the son's names. A lot of the blessing or curses take their names and and play on on it. Judah, Judah means he will be praised. So God's word to Jacob concerning Judah was that he would receive praise and reverence, the praise and reverence of his brothers and the submission of all, including his enemies. Judah's tribe would be preeminent first among the tribes of Israel. Beyond even the tribes, Jacob says, Judah would be blessed. He would be a young, victorious lion, inspiring fear in all. For these reasons, he would rule and be rewarded forever. Jacob says to to Judah, the scepter shall not, that's a symbol of a king, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. That's a remarkable set of blessings, but full, fullest of all, <laughs> the fullest blessing of all comes in the messianic allusions. He, he's not, Jacob is not just talking about Judah in the physical realm. He's talking about the Messiah that would come through Judah. It is from the tribe of Judah that Jesus would come. While Judah's kin would know victory on earth, the lion of Judah would know everlasting victory in heaven and on earth. In him alone would all of these prophecies be truly fulfilled. At his name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Judah and his kin would know victory on earth. But his offspring, the Lord Jesus, at his name, in his name alone, would every knee bow and tongue confess as Lord of all. He would ride into victory on a donkey's colt. He would turn water into wine before offering his own body and blood to cleanse a wayward people. He became stained. The offspring of Judah, the lion of Judah, would become stained to remove ours. This truly is an awesome passage describing the plan of God to save the world through Jesus. Now, again, of course, they could not have fully understood this yet as we can today. But this is a a tip of the hand to what God would do through this offspring of Judah. In that we see that he deserves praise for his perfect foresight and timing and redemption and covenant fulfillment. You with me, Grace? It's subtle, but remarkable. How about Zebulun, verse 13? 
Jacob's blessing of Zebulun was short and simple. We know less about the history of him and his tribe, and so there isn't a lot to say other than that God is God overall. He is not simply the God of the spiritual realm or merely the God of the big things of life. Jacob's blessing concerned the future of Zebulun's vocation. He said, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. By God's design, Zebulun and his tribe would be seafaring men. They would care about the sea and stuff that came from it. Grace, God is the God of every aspect of your life. There is no part of your life that God is not God of. There has not been, nor ever will there be, one second or one event in your life so small for God not to be concerned about it or working in it for his glory and your good. Every part of your life, from what you do for a living to how you drive home this afternoon, God is in it and working through it for his glory and your good. Issachar 14 and 15. And this short, the short, simple point of this blessing is that although he was strong in will for sure, if not in body also, he would choose a life of enslavement in the pursuit of ease. He wanted ease, and so he would choose to be enslaved to get it. Again, his words are a condemnation of his son's preference for, to com- for comfort over godliness. He preferred the ease of serving foreigners over harder, but more rewarding, the more rewarding blessing of faithfulness. This is a prequel to the Israelites, all the tribes together as a whole, wishing they were back in slavery in Egypt rather than on their meatless trek to the promised land. This too is a choice we all face every day. Will we do the hard work of swimming upstream towards Christ? Or sit back in the lazy river, drifting towards worldliness? Jacob's blessing of his son Issachar reminds us and helps us to choose wisely. Dan. More than likely, the significance of Dan's blessing is another one that is tied to the meaning of his name and also to the structure of the blessing. Like Reuben's, it starts off in an encouraging way. Dan shall judge his people. Another way to translate that is vindicate his people as one of the tribes of Israel. This was his calling. That's what his name means, we saw back in chapter 30, verse 6. He ought to have stood in a position of righteous judgment over his brothers, pointing them and their offspring continually to covenant faithfulness. Again, then, like Reuben, Dan's blessing begins on a significant upward trajectory. But also like Reuben's, it rises only to make the thud more audible when it happens. Instead of leading in righteousness, instead of leading in righteous vindication, as verse 17 says, he would end up more as a stumbling block in a hindrance. Dan, it says, shall be a viper in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backward. If there's one thing in the Bible that you don't really want to be called, it's a snake or a viper. To be a serpent or a viper in the Bible is almost always to be on the wrong side of righteousness. Dan's calling was high, but his future included treachery. It is especially significant that Jacob ended 
his words to Dan with a cry to God. Do you see it? I wait for your salvation, O Lord. His son's choices and future breaks his heart. But Jacob knew that Dan was ultimately in the hands of God. And this is a significant message for parents with struggling kids. You have kids who are in tough places. It may be clear to you that God has gifted them. They, they, they have gifts and strengths and abilities, and maybe in significant ways, but also that they are using them for something other than God's glory. Your charge, what we see here, is to continue to do good as you prayerfully and hopefully wait on the salvation which God alone can bring. Gad. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Gad's blessing is another It's lost in translation. We don't see it the way that the original audience would have understood it, but it's another word plan his name. In short, Gad's lot, by God's design, according to Jacob's prophecy, was a life of short-term difficulty and ultimate victory. His tribe would be raided by enemies, but he would eventually chase them down and raid them. Grace, this is a simple reminder that while we know God's good plans at the highest level, He tells us that overall he is working for good for those who love him. We never really know what he's up to in the moment. (laughs) I want you to think about that, both the good things and the hard things in your life. We know ultimately he's working them for good if our hope is in Jesus, if we love him. But rarely do we know the specific work that he's up to in the specific moments of our lives. Hear this clearly. Hear this clearly, Grace. The heart of Gad's blessing is that his hardship would be real, but temporary. And so it is for all of God's people. It doesn't mean you don't have hardship, and it doesn't mean it's not real, and it doesn't mean it's not hard. It just means that if your hope is in Christ, it's real, but temporary. If your trust is in Jesus, whatever difficulty you are presently enduring is temporary. It's temporary. Knowing that doesn't take away the pain, but it does allow you to endure it with hope. It does allow you to go through it with perspective, and it does allow you to look beyond yourself when life is hard. Asher. Perhaps the simplest and sweetest of all the blessings is the one that Jacob gave to Asher. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher and his offspring would be characterized by a life of sharing their abundance with royalty, with kings. Naphtali. Like Asher's blessing, Naphtali's was simple as well, sweet as well. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Both the exact translation and therefore the exact meaning is somewhat uncertain. But what isn't uncertain is that the overall message is that Naphtali would know freedom and gladness. Together, these two, Asher's and Naphtali's, their blessings serve as an important reminder. This is easy to forget. I wish it weren't. God always and only means good for his people. Think about your life. Think about the things you've gone through. Think about the things you're going through and hear that again. God always and only means good for his people. But you think, well, wait a minute. (laughs) 
I've gone through some stuff. I'm going through some stuff. I imagine I'm about to go through stuff that doesn't seem good. Well, what does that mean? How, how does that fit with what you just said, Pastor Dave? God's good things come in all kinds of packages, some pleasant and comfortable and some painful and difficult, but they are always good. Asher and Naphtali's God-given good, like some people in our lives perhaps, perhaps for some seasons of our lives, would come primarily as pleasant and comfortable. Hear this. It is right for us to learn to love holiness more than comfort. When I say good, that's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. There are good things that are uncomfortable in this life. It is right for us to learn to love holiness more than comfort. It is right for us to learn that true comfort only comes on the other side of true holiness. At the same time, it is right for us to learn that God never withholds comfort for its own sake. He is not a God who is up in heaven delighting in your pain and in your suffering, but he is a God who is up there using every ounce of it for a greater good than you can imagine. Whatever difficulty, whatever measure of difficulty you are experiencing, it is not because God delights in that in and of itself. What's more, whatever measure of difficulty you are experiencing, it is not your end. It doesn't end there. If you are a Christian, whether your life is currently characterized by pain or by ease, your end is always pleasure forevermore. Let us learn then. You've got to learn this because it's not natural to us. Let us learn then to count the path by which God brings us there. Everlasting pleasure as pure joy, James says whether it be marked primarily by suffering or richness. Joseph, two more. As we saw earlier, Judah was gradually being brought forward by God into the place of highest prominence among the sons and the tribes. Judah is moving his way forward. But for now, that's still Joseph. The Messiah would come from Judah's line, not Joseph's. But Joseph's blessing was still more immediately significant and would be be so for some time. The language of this blessing is remarkable. It really is. It, it's sort of the whole story of his life in a few sentences. The blessing and begins by speaking of Joseph's present blessing. Jacob's blessing begins by speaking of Joseph's present blessing. Remember, he's over all of Egypt and saving his family and bless God is blessing his family through the, through him it starts with a present blessing as the result of his faithfulness to God's promises through the severe hardship he had endured similarly it ends with the promise of future blessing the kind that would be above the rest of his brothers in most ways so we see at the beginning and at the end there's sweetness but it is the center it's like a good donut. <laughs> it is the center where the, the, the greatest sweetness is found, the most significance. It is there that we find the real source of all of the goodness he had experienced and would experience. The real source of all the goodness that all of God's covenant people have and, ha- and will experience. What is that? That is God himself. The middle of this blessing describes the great glory of God. God, the Almighty, it is said, made Joseph's arms agile even through his suffering. 
God is the shepherd and rock, we're told, of Israel. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God of heaven above and earth below. And he, he would help and bless Joseph and his offspring with blessings. Blessings of breast and blessings of womb. Again, the most significant part of Joseph's blessing is the clear and awesome way it describes the nature of the God of his blessing. And then that is yet another loud cry for you and me to hear, Grace. God is greater than you can imagine. (laughs) He is greater than I can imagine. If you took all of our imaginations together and all the greatness they could muster and multiplied them by a million, God is greater still by infinity. He is greater than you can imagine. His ways are higher and better, this blessing helps us to see, than you can imagine. His blessings are sweeter than you can imagine. His promises are surer than you can imagine. His mercy and grace are more abundant than you can imagine. Look to him. (laughs) Stop looking to yourself in times of blessing or trial, in times of strength or weakness. Stop looking first to your resources and your strength and your wisdom. Stop looking first to those things in others, this blessing reminds us. But rather look first and last and everywhere in between to God, who is your rock and strength and hope and who is your everlasting blessing. Look to him in Jesus, the son of Judah, and be free. Here's the last one, Benjamin. Verse 27, his blessing of Jacob's blessing of Benjamin is perhaps the most curious of all. The story of Benjamin's life and relationship to his father to this point had been one of tenderness and fondness. Therefore, the harshness of his words is a bit jarring. It isn't what we would expect. The rest we could sort of guess. This one is a bit jarring. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring the prey and in the evening, dividing the spoil. It is important to remember that some of these words, again, I mentioned this earlier, but it's important to remember that some of these words were directed directly and and most significantly at the sons themselves who first heard them. But others looked forward further, directed to their tribes even centuries later. Benjamin's blessing is one pointed to the future. While he enjoyed the favor of his father and Throughout his whole life, his offspring would veer in tragically different directions. We read about that in Judges 5 and Judges 19 and Psalm 68. In that grace is a is another warning. <laughs> I told you earlier that your present sufferings are not your end. Eventually, they'll all end, though all of your sufferings will end if your hope is in Christ. But there's a warning here that just as present suffering does not automatically make mean future suffering, neither does present blessing, at least in the form of comfort and ease, mean future blessing. And that's yet another reminder that our hope must always, always be grounded in God and not our circumstances if it is to be secure. You can't find your ultimate sense of relief because life is easy right now. Or because some great trial, you made it through and now you're on the other side. That's not, that's not where ultimate hope and rest and peace, the kind that surpasses understanding is found, but ultimately in God himself and the promises that he has made to us through Jesus Christ. So here's, here's my conclusion. 
Next week, Jacob dies. <laughs> we'll see it right away in the first few verses. The final chapter, we'll get into the final chapter of Genesis and see that this last of the patriarchs would die. But as our Lord Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. He is, not was, but is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's death was not his end. He is right now with the Father, counted righteous through his faith. Grace, that offer is not only for Abraham, for Isaac, and for Jacob, but for all who would hope in the salvation of their God. That offer is to all who would trust in God's fulfillment of the promises he made to these men, even those in our passage for this morning, and one of Judah's sons, Jesus. Look to him today. Trust in him today. And if you're not sure what that means, don't leave here today until you are. Talk to someone. Ask someone. Come on up and talk to me. Talk to the person you're sitting next to. But find out with certainty what it means that the son of Judah died and rose from the dead to take away your sins. And that that is offered to you, not not by doing enough good works or coming here enough times or praying enough or being religious enough, but by trusting in him and in him alone.